It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We are lawyers, mothers, and hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Just as we differ in political philosophy, we've arranged our lives in very different ways, from our careers to where we live to our choices around marriage and family. But we have more in common than divides us. In a world that increasingly defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. Choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. life after we had a little holiday break. We hope that you enjoyed your holidays very much. We are back at it and excited for the new year. And so today in our first block, we're going to talk a little bit about the state of dating, which should be an interesting conversation from two women who've been married for more than a decade. Yeah, I never dated. So this is gonna be fascinating. (laughs) And then for our main segment, we're going to focus on New Year's resolutions and begin our adventure into the world of stuff that Sarah is so excited about. Yes, this will be the part one of a approximately 55-part series because this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. Well, first up, I read a piece in The Atlantic called Boys on the Side while I was at home visiting my parents. I read lots of long reads while I was on the farm with my parents. I love them very much, and I also find that my introversion requires me to get lost in my phone after a few hours of, like, relative parties. So... (laughs) I did that, and I read this article called Boys on the Side about the hookup culture on college campuses, and the thesis of this article is that basically people look at the hookup culture as totally toxic and harmful to young women when it's actually being driven by young women, because young women have made the calculation that actual relationships and boyfriends are complete pain and a total time suck, and an energy waster, and that is not what they're there for. And I thought it was fantastic. I mean, they're not wrong. I love my husband. But, you know, every bit of social science you ever read is like the ranking of happiness is like, I think it's married men are the happiest, then single women, single men, and married men at the bottom, a.k.a. women in relationships. Like, for better or for worse, I don't think this has anything to do with genetics. I just think it has to do with cultural messages. But, yeah, there's, like, you know, all that emotional labor and girls, keep it keep it free and loose as long as you can. Well, the other thing in the spirit of talking about what free and loose means, this article pointed out, like, the hookup culture doesn't necessarily mean sex. Like, young women are less likely to have sex than previous generations. Unwanted pregnancies are down, right, yeah. statistically. So they're not necessarily talking about, like, free and loose in the way that some generations would think. But they're just saying, like, look, 
here and there is okay, but I'm not going to be in any kind of committed situation with you. And as someone who really didn't date either, I was sort of serial boyfriend, you know, I admire this approach. I think it is smarter. I think this is a sign of social progress. Yeah, totally. Each generation is learning a little bit more than the last one. I mean, we both got married pretty young and I don't regret my life choices. I'm very happy in my life. I also wish there could have been a way to impart what I know now to young Beth. Word. Well, and here's the thing. You know, I think for so long we told women, go out, have it all, be in the workforce. Like, we did that first, but we didn't really give a sustained message of, like, you're a whole and complete person by yourself. You do not need a relationship to define you, sustain you, prop you up, or to find meaning in your life. We had Rebecca Traster on our political podcast, Pantsy Politics, and she wrote a fantastic book called All the Single Ladies, which is really all about that, like, all about the mixed messages we send women with regards to... Um, being single and relationships. And so, I mean, I think we just were sending conflicting messages for so long. And so I think it's great that we're sort of women either are rejecting or deciding to send their own messages that they do not need a relationship to sort of be the the foundation or center point of a life that you can have a wholly and completely satisfying life um, as a single woman. I mean, my grandmother has been single since um, right around when I was born and has lived um, sort of in a, she got married, had four kids, they got divorced, and she's been living the single life ever since. She's such an inspiration to me, you know, and I grew up always knowing my mom's big thing, big advice to me was always men are just desserts, like they should enhance your life but not become your life. I know that doesn't sound like somebody who went out and got an MRS degree in college. I really didn't mean to. I just happened to fall into love with this man who I really love and who's really made my life amazing, but I definitely got the message that 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 is not how you find meaning in life. But I I don't think that that's necessarily the universal message, although I hope that it is becoming more and more universal. Well, and the other thing that I kept thinking as I read this is that this shouldn't mean that your career takes that place either. Like your career is important. right? But a great thing about college that I think I missed mostly is just figuring out what you're about. Yeah. And what your values are so that when you're ready for a career, when you're ready for a marriage, you can infuse those things with your values. Right. It should really be about taking those roots that are instilled in you pre-college, fleshing them out more, figuring out what does and doesn't make sense to you still, and then deciding how to go forward from there. And so I would hate to see this kind of wave of boys are too much energy or relationships are too much energy turn into because I must be a hundred percent driven to academic success right? or getting the perfect internship or making the most money when I graduate that I can make, because that's not really it either. And again, these are things that are so much easier to say sitting here as someone who's 36 and has kind of reflected a lot on what I got right and wrong in my academic career. And and I understand that college keeps getting more and more expensive, and it, that changes the calculus too. What kind of debt you think you're coming out with really changes the way you have to think about your career. So I understand that. I do love, though, the idea that women are less inclined to sign over their college experience to men and particularly to sign over their decision making to men, because I think that's the worst, right? When you see women who don't go to the grad school that they really wanted to go to because of this guy. 
Well, that conversation reminds me of an article I saw this morning, which is the 2018, the year in preview, um, because we like to make every conversation in the pantsuit politics empire lead to Me Too. And so this was talking about how Me Too is affecting like sort of the dating world and relationships. It says um, more cautious relationships will mean less sex. Now that the country is waking up to the prevalence of sexual harassment and assault, sex is going to change. And this, ar- this article it talks about interviews with singles. Women talk about how each new revelation of sexual assault or harassment erodes their trust in men and makes them less likely to want to take a chance in their dating lives. Um, I have no desire to be romantic with someone or even put myself in a romantic situation because all the news is so disheartening, says Claire Manier, a 25-year-old in Washington. That's kind of intense, too. Okay, I just want to say I think that's not the takeaway of me, too. <laughs> no, but I get it. I get it. I get like the idea of well, and this article is good. It just said that that where we're, this was a sentence I liked. It said women and men are relearning how to interact with each other, and I think that's okay. Let's all let's start over with a blank sheet of paper. I'm cool with that. I'm good with that. I think there's a lot to be learned. Mm-hmm. I think that. I think caution in relationships is good. I think caution in the physicality of relationships is good. So please don't take from my um, applaud of the hookup culture that I think that we should all just be like out there casually interacting with one another. That's not where I am. I do think that relationships are super valuable. And I think that if Me Too becomes about separation we're going to go in a bad direction. You know, to me, Me Too has to be about deeper connection with one another based on real connection, not on power structures. Right. Right? That's the whole patriarchy. I mean, the whole idea is that we've been walking around kind of asleep at the wheel because a few people control so much and everybody else goes, oh, well, you know, they control this, so what am I going to do? And I think that um, a culture driven less by patriarchy and more by women becomes more inclusive and more connected and more loving in general. And so I would hate for Me Too to become this symbol of like separation between the sexes because I don't think that's what it is. I think we can have better relationships when we simply respect one another, right, instead of manipulating one another, coercing one another. Um, I agree with all that. And I think that's the idea. Because I think it's like you say, that we have to swing the pendulum the other way. And I think there is going to maybe be a little bit of separation and a little bit of, hold on, I'm going to hold back and decide how what I really want to get from this interaction. What I really want to get from my romantic relationships or from my interaction with men. And I mean, I think that's inevitable and fine before we can decide what we want those interactions to look for. We just kind of have to take a step back first. There's going to be a lot of conversation about what relationships are. We talked on a previous episode about what the future of marriage looks like. And I read a bunch of pieces from the New York Times modern love section. And one of them was pretty well advocating for open marriages as kind of the future of that institution, that like there's still some value in a partnership, but that monogamy is kind of a dated concept and I thought it was really interesting it's it's way out there for me I have a hard time getting myself there but as a person who's interested in culture and kind of sociological shifts I could see a world in which strangely me too leads down that path 
Listen, Dan Savage was once on Love, Death, Sex, and Money. I like Dan Savage anyway, but he came on Death, Sex, and Money and talked about open marriage because him and his partner in an open marriage. It was one of my favorite interviews on that show ever. It was so fascinating. He talked about cheating, and one of my favorite things he said that I think about all the time is he was like, look, 50% of people cheat, and they're not all cheating with each other. So it is most likely going to affect your life at some point or another. And when someone says, I would die for you, and you say that in a romantic relationship, just like I would die for you, it's just an expression. And he's like, what you're trying to express is that I would feel pain for you. That's how important it is to be with you. And so when someone stays in the face of cheating, what they're really saying is, I'm ready to, I'm willing to face this pain with you. But he also had all these fascinating insights about open marriages and gay relationships and straight relationships. Oh, it's one of my favorite interviews. Listen, I think open marriages and that whole concept it's really fascinating I'm not saying I'm willing to sign up but I'm also not judgmental totally get it whatever I've already said I kind of want a sister wife it's fine you know we talk a lot on pansy politics about keeping politics in this place and I think that part of what me too hopefully spurs in this hookup culture article they really get to putting sex in its place yeah because we don't do that at all, right? So we true. we make sex. I mean, in a lot of ways, sex dominates politics as well to the point where yeah, we're... Yes, we say. We put it in a place. We put it in the wrong place. We put it in the top place. We put it, all the the pla- place. We put it in all the places it does not belong. And so it would, be, it would be interesting to talk about what marriage means without having sex as sort of the be-all and end-all of that covenant, you know? And I think that would be a really healthy conversation for lots of people to have. And I think it's also interesting to think about what cheating means and what kind of um, expectations we have of each other when, let's face it, none of us can be every single thing for another person. We can't. Like, you have to go into your marriage honest about the fact that you cannot be everything this other person needs and they cannot be everything you need. And we've kind of defaulted to, well, the the outer limits of that involve physical contact. That's kind of stupid. But it's also really murky when you go beyond that. So I find all this truly fascinating, but can I just be honest? Mm-hmm. I really want to move on and talk about resolutions because it's my number one favorite thing to talk about, tied only with stuff, which we're also going to talk about. It's all I can think about is getting to the next segment. I'm just being honest. Well, okay. Well, then we'll go to the next segment. I can talk about this for literally years. I mean, we can't. Let's come back to it in February. Right now, all I can think about (laughs) is resolutions. All right. Well, we'll move on then. I'm just going to be quiet while you talk. Oh, my God. That's fine. That's fine. We have 55 parts. There's plenty of time. So in the next segment, we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions and stuff. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Okay, first of all, 
do you make New Year's resolutions? Of course, I make New Year's resolutions. I love, I love making New Year's resolutions so much. I love every fresh start. I love that's why I like mornings. That's why I like Mondays. That's why I like the first start of every season, every month, but a year. Bring it. I'm so all in. Now, I used to obsess about January 1st and like every shred of Christmas had to be down. Everything has to be clean. You need to wake up on January 1st ready to complete every single resolution that day so you're off to a good start. I've relaxed in my old age. And now, first of all, if you listen to Pansy Politics, you know I'm fully all in on the 12 days of Christmas and celebrating Christmas from December 1st through Epiphany. I'm on it. I'm in it. I'm loving it. Listening to Christmas music still. So I've clearly not stripped my house of every sign of Christmas, which also makes it a little bleak. I, I decorate for winter now. But anyway... And I've sort of now decided that, like, I just take the whole month of January as, like, my transition into the new year to sort out my resolutions and what I want to do and figure out the patterns and, like, behaviors that are going to get my resolutions off to a good start and keep me doing them all year long. So I just get to think about resolutions. My best friend from college was in town this week with her kids. We literally sat, sat around an entire day and, like, made all kinds of pretty charts and lists and beginnings and our new bullet journals for the year, I was so blissed out. So I want to interject and say that I fully endorse using January as your year programming time. I think businesses that are on a fiscal year that coincides with the calendar year are doing it wrong. We Mm. should not try to do everything on earth in December. And I think we should reserve December for enjoying one another. I think December right. should be a relationships-based month. Yes. And so I love pushing to January all of our planning and yeah. preparation. And so I'm definitely with you about that. So I have been reading Gretchen Rubin's The Four Tendencies. I am a questioner. Are you familiar with The Four Tendencies? I am, but it's been a long time. I do not know which one I am. So it's all you're an obliger. I'm just going to tell you. Okay, I'm pretty. That sounds right when you say it. It feels right yeah. to me. Um, so obligers and questioners make good partnerships. My husband is also an obliger. So my it's all about how you respond to expectations, either internal or external. So I am internally motivated as long as basically it makes sense to me. So like I will definitely disregard like a dumb elementary school rule if I think it's dumb. Like, don't pick your kids up at this store. No, I'm going to use this door. Thanks, love. Peace out one love but I like once I believe that it's something I should do I'm like highly internally motivated and so I was reading that book and talking to my husband who's an obliger who's very hard to behaviorally motivate because it has to be he doesn't not involve he does not respond to internal motivations and it was just talking about like do you make resolutions and all this stuff and uh it's just my favorite thing to read about I love resolutions so much so do are you comfortable sharing some of your resolutions oh yeah absolutely So one of my, I have kind of a spectrum of resolutions, right? I always have very light, breezy resolutions. Yes. Into much more deep resolutions on my light and breezy end. I fully support this approach. Yes. (laughs) On my light and breezy end, one thing I am 100% doing this year is making more playlists, and I've already started. I like it. Because I just don't have enough music in my life, and I am so happy when I'm listening to music. I can knock out just about anything. When I'm doing when I when I've got a good playlist going, and where so, are you forming these playlists in Spotify? On Spotify, yes. You need to share these with our listeners. Are you? I will doing absolutely that? do that. Yes. Okay, we need to make that happen. And I have one called organizing. I just want you to know. Woo! So That's if you intense. are, as you're thinking more about stuff, 
I have a playlist for you that you can like rock it out while you're getting your stuff together. I am currently listening to Cozy Christmas Amazon playlist, also Cozy Classic New Year's Eves. If it's a playlist and has the word cozy in it, then that's what I would like to listen to right now. So playlists are my first resolution. And then I also have just kind of a whole set of like things I'm going to add and subtract to from my life. Now, these are not, it's not binary. It's not like I'm subtracting this, therefore it is totally gone from my life. It's a reduction because I've also learned that New Year's resolutions can be a great instrument of failure if you allow them to be. (laughs) And I'm not interested in failing and I'm especially not interested in doing like, oh, I'm going so hardcore and now it's February 5th and I'm done, right? I'm out. (laughs) So I want this to be like achievable for the entire year. So I want to add more music. I want to add more water. I have these cute little post-it notes that let me check off my hydration for the day. And I'm excited about that. Paper products are very motivating for me. I feel that. Yes. I want to add more reading this year, like actual books instead of just articles. So that's going to be great. In the subtraction column, I am interested in getting rid of food that's not actually food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important one. Yes. I am interested in getting rid of overscheduling, which has been my life for 10 years or so. And then I am interested also in not shopping, which gets to our stuff conversation. I'm so excited. Nicholas and I are also doing a year without shopping. Okay. I feel like this might need to be its own episode, but I know you people are going to be sending me 55 emails about what are your rules. Every person I've told this to, the reactions have been hilarious. Like people's eyes literally bug out of their head. What do you mean a year without shopping? So for anybody who doesn't read the New York Times on a, on the reg, and Paget, I think that's right. Who owns, shoot, pa, what's the bookstore? I'm wanting to call it Patronus. That's Harry Potter. <laughs> what's her book club? Her, she has a bookstore in Nashville. I don't know. I don't know. Parnassus. Ooh, did you hear me pull that out of my brain? Okay. I did. So she wrote an editorial in the New York Times called A Year Without Shopping, which we will obviously link in the show notes. And she didn't shop for a year. So I told, sent it to my husband. I was like, I want to do this. First of all, I just love stuff like that. I just like challenges. We did the whole 30 a couple years ago. It totally changed my life, even though I don't eat paleo all the time now. Clearly, I just had um, panettone bread pudding. But I really, it did change a lot of things. It changed in a huge way how I ate breakfast. So... I like stuff like that. Like, I like challenges. I like competitions. Um, I'm really into it. So my husband and I, we shopped today because it's Dillard's 50% off sale, and clearly that doesn't count, but we only used our Christmas money. And so now we're not shopping except for, like, the grocery store, anything that get used up so you can replace stuff that gets used up. One present each on birthdays and Christmas. And if you can convince the other spouse that it is something you need not want, which I've tried to do twice a day and failed at, you can't get it. Um, this could be a recipe for marital strife. We'll see. I'm excited. I've got a closet full of clothes because a friend of mine emptied her closet, and I got all kinds of new and exciting wear- things to wear for a long time. I'm just, I, I love, ch- I like kind of like where you have to like make what you have work. And I got this big house full of stuff. I'm really excited. So that's one of our big New Year's resolutions, a year without shopping. I'm going to try to, f- once and for all, complete the entire Con Murray process. So I've done, I read the book, 
the life-changing art of tidying up probably two years ago. It made 300% sense to me. I think we should save how I feel my, my whole thing on this book till part two of the stuff conversation. But um, I've done several pieces of it, like the clothing and the books. But in the first book, she gets to a section where she's like, kimono, which is like everything else in your house. That's not, I need more strips than that. That's not helpful. So then she wrote a second book where she broke that down in like a lot of categories. So I have some, some um, like taken every category and assigned it to a week in 2018. So by the end of 2018, I will have sorted everything from my clothes to my photos, everything. I'm super, super psyched about it. So I want to do that. I also have reading challenges every year. So I try to complete Modern Mrs. Darcy's reading challenge. And then I do a Goodreads. Goodreads lets you set like how many books you want to read that year. I had said previously on Fancy Politics that I was going to do 100 books. But I have adjusted that slightly to 75. Hoping that maybe I'll get to 100 anyway. I'm really excited about that. Um, I felt like last year my goal was like sort of break up with sugar panettone bread pudding aside I really feel like I've done a good job of doing that like getting my diet under control so this year I really want to like get my exercise routine under control and mainly that's going to involve me going back to yoga because that just works best for me and my body so I'm gonna go back to yoga regularly so those are my like big resolutions oh god I love this conversation so much we are very different in many ways and one of them is that I do not like rules and challenges so for me the year without shopping I loved the article I totally agree. Also a difference between us is that I've only talked about it to people who I know are my people and are going to be like, yes, no shop. They're like instantly. Yes. That's a great idea. So I have not. No, it's hilarious. I mean, it's like a personality test suggesting this to people. People are like, wait, what? But like some people are like, tell me more. I think I might want to do it. And some people are just like, I might as well told them I'm going to live on Mars as far as they're concerned. But, like, I'm not worried about the rules of it as much as I just like the question. I like the intention behind it, you know. And there are a lot of things in my life. So this is kind of on the deeper end of my resolutions. I want to stop making fear-based decisions. And I want to listen to my intuition more. And mm-hmm. I want to listen to my intuition more on very small things and on very big things. So, like, on the small thing spectrum, I flat-ironed my hair today for the first time in three years because I just wanted to brush my hair, you know. <laughs> And, like, everything in my body was like, you need to brush your hair. I took a bath the other day for the first time, probably in five years. Like, oh, my God, I, I hate love taking a bath. But a everything bath in my podcast. body, I put both girls down for a nap. I didn't have anything that actually had to get done in those moments. And, like, I just felt this sensation of, like, you need to fill the bathtub up with Epsom salt and get in it. And I was like, you know what? Okay, I will. I'm just going <laughs> to listen to that little voice. And so there are times, like, when I'm feeling things and thinking, that is a bad decision. And I'm going to make it anyway. Word. Because I haven't given myself a lot of permission for that. So I'm not worried about the rules so much of the year without shopping as I love the idea of, do I really need this? Do I have something that would work? You know, what is going to happen if I don't get this? Can I wait a few days and let this urge pass? I think all that sounds really good. I'm going to do the whole 30 with a group of um, girlfriends in January. That is probably the only time you'll hear me talk about it because I super hate talking about food. Um, I hate it with every fiber of my being. I am not stepping on a scale. I am not talking about weight loss. I am doing it, trying to approach it with, like, curiosity. What would it be like if I didn't have sugar? How might I feel if I don't have this? Because if I do it the other way, I'll get mad and quit. So I have to approach all this from kind of a different angle than you do. But I think we're probably going to engage in a lot of the same things. 
Um, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Around day four, you're going to want to kill all the things that day. It's not a joke. Not a joke, the sugar hangover. But then afterwards, you'll be like, I could fly to the moon. Who would like to join me? It's going to be awesome. I'm so excited for you. So I want to talk about my friend Taylor, who is a friend of Pantsuit Politics and has been on the podcast with his wife, Leslie, because they are a nuanced marriage. He is conservative. She is liberal. He makes the most insane list of resolutions every year that it is just pure entertainment to read them. And the follow-up to this list is amazing. I cannot wait to tell you about it. So I am not going to read all of his resolutions because there are 33. But they range from summit a California 14er, crew in the Newport to Ensenada Regatta, run 365 miles, surf 12 times, 2,000 put to 2,000 push-ups, drink wine in Napa, have a glass of 100-point wine, write three short stories, cure and smoke my own bacon, land a kickflip. I don't even know what a kickflip is. Learn the solo from We Will Rock You. Learn to fly a plane. 33, skydive. I mean, one year it was like, learn Mandarin. I mean, these, he dreams so big. He has such the shiny eyes. But can I tell you the most amazingly hilarious story? Because we were going to talk about resolutions. I literally look forward to his resolution list every year. I'm like, oh my God, I cannot wait to read Taylor's. And he also updates you yesterday on like how he did on last year's list. Which included cut the open a bottle of wine with a sword, which he did and included the video in. I mean, what the heck? So today I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the day we get to read Taylor's ridiculous resolutions. And I was like, skydive? What a ridiculous thing to want to do. Actually, I do want to skydive, but I'm gonna do it like HW style when I'm like 85 years old and it doesn't matter if my parachute doesn't open. Okay. So I'm like reading this list. Haha, ha, Taylor's so ex- ridiculous. Scroll down to the comments. Picture of him. In the parachute jumping gear with the comment, well, that escalated quickly. Somebody saw his crazy list on Facebook, a friend of his, and was like, oh, I'm going to do it this afternoon. You want to come? And he did, and he jumped out of an airplane. Discuss. I think that's awesome. Also, I just want to point out before we get letters, your life will still matter at 85. That is not what you meant. <laughs> your life will matter very much. It will be yes. precious and wonderful at 85. I think what hey, you listen. mean is that you won't have mom guilt about it. Am I right, exactly. Yes. Okay. My gra- it's like my grandmother... You've lived a good, if you get to 85, like, it's not that your life doesn't matter, but you've lived a good life. You have more yesterdays than tomorrow, as Hillary Clinton always says. I mean, my grandmother is 81 that I was talking about who's inspires me. But, like, if she wanted to jump out of airplane, I'd be like, go for it, Mima. Live your life. That's amazing. But is that not a banana story? I mean, I would jump out of an airplane tomorrow if someone said, hey, let's go do this. Because I have always wanted to do that, and I love experiences like that. And I feel like my life doesn't have enough of them. What I love about Taylor, who I don't know, but I'm feeling closer to as we talk, is (laughs) I do think that, like, setting an intention on that kind of stuff is really important because you just don't get to it otherwise. Yeah, There's so much life that you just don't live because you're busy, like, doing the hamster wheel thing. And so I like just putting it out there. I'm going to make these things a priority. I think that's awesome. I'm going to do these crazy things. Like, I'm just going to... You know, we had a lot of fun last night. We celebrated New Year's Eve with our kids for the first time. We usually go to a big fancy party in Paducah. And this was the first year since Griffin's been born that, excuse me, we celebrated with him and all and my best friend and her four kids. So we had seven kids, four adults. We had a balloon drop. We had a wish tree. And we also filled out these really fun sheets that were like the three best moments of 2017. What was a hard lesson you learned? What did you get better at? And then we... Also did, um, like, what do you want to, where do you want to go in 2018? What do you want to try? And 
we had so much fun doing it. And I think thinking through these things is so important. There's a, another really good New York Times article that we'll link to, to that they put today that was like um, how to stick to your resolutions. And they, they were like, do you think it's about willpower? No, that's not it at all. And the article argued that basically it's social skills, gratitude, um, compassion, empathy, pride. And it's like there's social science studies that say people like are more productive when they are feeling these emotions and like reflecting on things they're grateful for and lessons they've learned. And so to just, you know, I think January is such an amazing time to do that, to look back and think, what am I grateful for? Because it's so easy to just keep the forward momentum to keep you from looking back and being like, oh, my God, I accomplished these amazing things in 2017. And let me just dream big for 2018. I mean, my dream big was I want to try spin class. But you know what? Cutting open a bottle of champagne with a sword is very cool as well. (laughs) You know, I also think that gratitude is something that we need to kind of all take a step back and reflect on because – I've realized lately that I can get myself into gratitude spirals, which are lovely things. And they really yeah. help me stop being so judgmental and um, obsessive about things. So a thing that I've been obsessive about lately is that I feel like I don't have enough friends. Like there are lots and lots of people in my life. We've talked about this before. I'm an excellent crisis friend. Like if you need advice or so everything true. is hitting the fan, I've got you. Yeah, but that's true. that is like... That is not the only kind of relationship that you should have, right? Well, that's sort of a taking less than a relationship. I say that as a person who calls you in a crisis, but there's way more in our relationship than that. (laughs) Yeah, and I also am not being fair to myself when I say that I don't have enough friendships because I really do. They're just not your typical friendships. Like, they're not let's go to the movies or shopping together kind of friendships, but they're still really great friendships. And, like, today I was sort of making a list in my head of all of the people who I think of as friends and who just really – like teach me things and enrich my life. It was a super long list and it just made me feel really relieved and really good. And I think that like we've gotten very trite about gratitude and about friendship and about lots of things. And if you are willing to just kind of step back and ask yourself some hard questions, I think gratitude can be just incredibly valuable as a practice. Well, and the other interesting part about that article is they talked about when they were talking about these social skills, that how important they are to connecting with one another and how like it was the saddest statistic. It was like, you know, 30 years ago, 57 or 80 percent of Americans could list one person who met like one relationship that mattered to them. And now it's down to 57 percent. Oh, it was that these social skills also prevent loneliness. And I thought that is bananas. I could list 20 people who really matter to me. Like, relationships and connections to other human beings is it's why I cry a lot probably it's just the source of my surface level emotions and man I was this I've been feeling it left and right over the holidays when I was looking around at my kids with the balloon drop on Christmas Eve I just started crying looking around all the beautiful people that I go to church with and we have had friends coming over for parties and hosting this group and hosting that group that's how I'm keeping this 12 days of Christmas thing hopping And, you know, if you do all that and you don't um, meet every reading goal or, you know, break the the whole 30 chain or whatever, but you're doing it in fellowship and relationship with other human beings, you're still winning at life. And that's the thing. I think resolutions, as long as they help you confirm the values of your life and don't take away from what's important to you, it's all good. And I have to say that what you just described is a very extroverted way of valuing relationships, and it's wonderful. And 
I have a lot of jealousy about that sometimes. There's also an introverted way to value those relationships, right? And and you don't have to have volumes of people and tons of invitations and lots of events to really be meaningfully connecting with people also. And I feel like that is, I think that's why this time of year gets really hard on people. Yeah. Because loneliness is really pervasive this time of year. And look, loneliness is something that I've struggled with my entire life. Even when I'm surrounded by people, I can get really lonely really fast. I just read somewhere, like a former Surgeon General or someone said that loneliness is like our greatest public health issue. And I completely believe that. And so I think it would be a good resolution for all of us. We should do like some cultural resolutions. Can we as Americans get together on some resolutions? Because one of them I think should be like understanding that things can take a lot of different forms. And so you can have a really full, happy life that involves very few other people with whom you connect in this really deep and unusual way. And that's great, too. It reminds me of um, we encourage PNC Politics listeners to choose a word for the next year because we think Allie Edwards is amazing and her project is really helpful. And so one of our listeners was watching the the very positive kind of inspiring responses roll in Bryn. And he said, look, I think 2018 is going to kind of suck. And <laughs> that I'm going to be disappointed by a lot of things and angry about a lot of things politically. And so my word is determined. And I said, first of all, determination is underrated. And secondly, I think all these things can exist together. Like you can feel both disappointed and hopeful at the same time. You know, you can feel angry and optimistic. A little bit more and around the holidays, I think might help us. Um, And here is some an interesting bit of, inside I have to offer on loneliness. Okay, so I don't know if I've ever, this is going to sound bananas, I don't know if I've ever in my life felt lonely. Is that crazy? I'm so glad for you. I think that's wonderful. Because what's weird, though, is I don't think it's because I am a people person. And I definitely, how my sort of anxiety exercises itself around people as I, my anxiety is like, oh, my God, I'm feeling left out. I'm missing something. People don't like me as much as I want them to like. Not that I'm, like, sad they're not around, but, like, that maybe they're doing something that I, that I wasn't invited to. That's pretty much all of it. But I don't have – I wonder if part of my loneliness, like, that I don't ever, quote, unquote, feel lonely. I mean, first of all, I'm not alone that often because I have people. But, like, when you said you can feel lonely with a room full of people, I think that's definitely true. But I think a lot of that, too, is because I was an only child. And, like, I, I like being alone. Like, that's a weird part of my personality. I'm a little bit of everything all wrapped up in one, as we most of us are, and just different little recipes, which is what's so fun. So, like, I do really like to be alone. And what I really enjoyed about the going call back to the Four Tendencies book is she's really good at talking about just the, the beautiful parts of personalities and our each sort of, like I said, unique recipe is not that there's one way to be, which let's let's – let me be vulnerable here for a minute and definitely admit that I thought there was one way to be until maybe two years ago. No, longer than that, but not by much. Um, I thought everybody should be like me, clearly. and But I've let that go slowly and surely over time. But in, So she talks about just like it's, it's just about awareness. And so it's saying like, okay, well, if I'm good at following – resolutions but you're not and you like to but you like to be in a group that's doing something so you say 
okay, I want to, can I meet you at the gym? Cause that's what helps me follow my resolutions or whatever it is. And I think with loneliness and discussing like being alone and all those things, you know, I think it's, there's so, we can learn so much from each other and how we deal with things. And, you know, sometimes it's just seeing a different perspective, like realizing that other people see the world totally and completely different from you is so freeing because it means that there's not one way to be or one way to see the world. And so if you feel upside down about certain issues or relationships or life in general to realize, well, that's just the way you're seeing things and that's important, but that's not the entirety of the picture. That's that's hugely helpful for me. So here's a different perspective on loneliness in that vein. I love to be alone. I need to be alone. So for me, that's not the source of loneliness. The source of loneliness for me is feeling that what is most important to me is not of interest to other people. Mm. And my observation about you is that that's not something you experience. And Wait, say it again so I can think about it one more time. Loneliness for me is feeling that what is important to me is not of interest to other people. So in very big and small ways, I sense from you that you don't experience that. As an example, we were. I mean, I do, but I I don't feel I think that like I have moments where I'm like, people don't care about this. But here's what my brain does. I must convince them that it's important. (laughs) Well, so as an example, we were going to start recording Pansy Politics the other day. And you said, I think we should talk about our Christmases. I think people care about what we did for Christmas. And I like immediately thought, Why? Why would they care what we did for Christmas? <laughs> you know? But but you just kind of keep going through things like that. And I always feel this sense of like, no, Sarah's really confident that, that other people care about this. Um, and if they don't, it doesn't matter. And for me, like, that is the crux of loneliness, right? That I have something that is super important to me. or And this is the introversion part, too. I live all this life in my head, as Ann Bogle so beautifully describes it. And... When I feel like other people aren't in my head with me and don't want to be, and that's something I put on them, right? It's not like people are actively saying, you are not of interest to me. But but I kind of am wired, I think, to believe that. And that makes me extremely lonely. Honestly, I'm most lonely when I'm in deep relationships with other people and I have that sense that they don't care about what I care about. Mm. That's really interesting, We have really taken a turn from resolutions and stuff, but I think it's really fascinating. Well, I think it folds in, though, because there are so many people who aren't doing the resolution thing and are experiencing this time of year in a hard way. Yeah. And I guess I just want those people to know that, like, your hard way is of interest to me. (laughs) You are not alone in that because, because it isn't just a celebratory time. And I think that... The celebration that can be found in that difficulty is there are so many people who view it this way. And also that it's a good time to reset, not just on the superficial, but on kind of the perspective, on the idea that we're not all the same and there's value in those differences. And so I don't know. I kind of I like it. (laughs) Well, no, I just I totally agree. Well, and I think that, you know, I think about Anne's thing about in um introverts are the real world is in their head and extroverts the real world is out there and I think really the real world for me is in my head that is the intense place that I that occupies most of my time and how I relate to the world the reason I I 
come across as so extroverted is because my thoughts are and being in my head is so intense when I, I don't, I'm not in my head when I'm with other people. And maybe that is really the difference between when, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. Like when I'm in a party or I'm at a party or I'm with other people or I'm talking to other people, I'm totally out of my head. And it's just such a welcome break because it's kind of intense in there. And so that's what I love about it. Like that's what I love being with friends and having people over to my house because it feels just like it's such a nice release from the intensity of sort of my day-to-day processing. But again, it took me 30 years to realize like it is not the same experience for everybody else. But I think, again, that's the only child in me. Like that's just the, you know, I I didn't have siblings in which I was like constantly realizing like, oh, they're different. They see things different. They want things different. It was just me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, that segues really nicely into maybe my last resolution that I'll share, which is something that I saw on Twitter today. This person said, in 2018, I am going to tell the people who inspire me, who make me better, who teach me things, who I enjoy, that they are amazing. And I'm going to do that whether I know them or they don't, or or I don't. And I think that is great. And it's a challenge for me to be more expressive in that way. I think I'm really good at that with people that I spend a lot of time with. I do try to be cognizant of kind of this sense that if something happened to me, I wouldn't want people to be unclear on how I feel about them. Right, right, And that's right. that's very present for me. But I'm not good at just reaching out to people who maybe I'm not close to and saying, you did this thing and it mattered to me. And that's been dawning on me in a personal way because of some of the cards that I've gotten as I leave my job. There are people Mm. I did not realize had any sort of connection to me who have said some incredibly kind things and talked about how I impacted them in a very personal way. And it has mattered to me in a way that I can't even put into words. And it's, it's really made me feel like I need to be better at that. Yeah, that's really great. You're right. It feels so good when somebody does it to you. And every time I'm like, I'm going to do this more. This is, I'm going to do. And I, I think I'm decent at that. But yeah, that, that's a good, excellent, excellent resolution that there's always um, room for improvement when it comes to telling the people in your life why they matter and why they're important to you. Patty Dye, who I've talked about a lot, I can't remember if she does this every day or every week. I think she's, she writes a thank you note every single day. Like oh, that's, that's her gratitude practice. And it's really, I mean, that is really fantastic. Something to strive for. Well, and then also I've tried to bundle it before back to resolutions with like completing things because I love the idea of like using up all my stationery. That brings me so much joy to even think about. Maybe I'll add that one because you know what? I got the whole month of January to transition into my New Year's resolutions. Thank you, 2018. Well, and you should do that, and then you'll need to buy more stationery, which will allow you to go buy it. Nothing not awesome about that. All right, well, we would love to hear from all of you what your resolutions are, how you feel about resolutions generally. We will be back next week for part two of 55. 
on our conversation of stuff, mainly exploring in much more detail my thoughts on Con Marie getting rid of stuff in the new year, which I know a lot of people resolve to do. I'm so excited about it. So we always try to leave you with something inspiring or memorable, and I thought this was the perfect time to share my favorite on dieting from Anne Lamott. I know you're planning to start a diet next Thursday, January 1st. I used to start diets, too. I hated to mention this to my then-therapist. She would say cheerfully, oh, that's great, honey. How much weight are you hoping to gain? I got rid of her sorry ass. Nobody talks to me that way. Well, okay, maybe it was 10 years later after she had helped lead me back home to myself, to radical self-care, to friendship with my own heart, to a jungly glade that had always existed deep inside me, to mostly healthy eating, but that I'd avoided all those years by achieving, dieting, binging, people-pleasing, multitalking, and so on. Now, when I decide to go on a diet, I say to myself, great, honey, how much weight are you hoping to gain? I was able to successfully put on weight during my last book tour by eating room service meals in a gobbly trance in 13 different cities. So that was exhilarating, as I may have mentioned several hundred times that I have had the teeniest, tiniest struggle with food and body image for the last, well, lifetime. Hardly worth mentioning. And then after book tour, I accidentally forgot to starve myself in December or to go back to the gym, which I've been meaning to do since I had a child 24 years ago. So I am at least five pounds up, but thankfully I do not currently have a scale because I've said, as I've said before, getting on a scale is like asking Dick Cheney to give you a sense of your own self-worth every morning. I can still get my jeans on for one reason. I wear forgiving pants. The world is too hard as it is without letting your pants have an opinion on how you are doing. I struggle with enough esteem issues without letting my jeans get in on the act, volunteering random thoughts about my butt. By the same token, it feels great to be healthy. Some of you need to be under a doctor's care. None of you need to join Jenny Craig. It won't work. You will lose tons of weight quickly and gain it all back plus five. Some of you need to get outside and walk for half an hour a day. I do love walking, so that is not a problem for me. But I have a serious sickness with sugar. If I start eating it, I can't stop. I don't have an off switch any more than I do with alcohol. Given a choice, I will eat candy corn and raisinets until the cows come home. And then those cows will be tense and bitter because I will have gotten lipstick on the straps of their feed bags. But you crave what you eat, so if I go for three or four days with no sugar, the craving is gone. That is not dieting. If you are allergic to peanuts, don't eat peanuts. So please join me in not starting a diet January 1st. It's really okay, though, to have or pray for an awakening around your body. It's okay to stop hitting the snooze button and to pay attention to what makes you feel great about yourself one meal at a time. Horribly, it's yet another inside job. If you are not okay with yourself at 185, you will not be okay at 150 or even 135. The self-respect and peace of mind you long for is not out there. It's within. I hate that. I resent that more than I can say. But it's true. Maybe some of us can try to eat a bit less and walk a bit more and make sure to wear pants that do not hurt our thighs or our feelings. Drinking more water is the solution to all problems. I'll leave you with this. I've helped some of the women at my church get healthy by suggesting they prepare each meal as if they had asked our beloved pastor to lunch or dinner. They wouldn't say, here, pastor, let's eat standing up in the kitchen. This tube of barbecue Pringles is all for you. I have my own. And then stand there gobbling from their own tubular container. No, they'd get out pretty dishes and arrange wonderful foods on the plate and set one plate before Veronica at the table, a plate filled with love, pride, and connection. That's what we have longed for our whole lives and get to create now. Wow, and God bless you all real good, as my pastor always says. Oh, I love that. What a perfect way to end an episode on New Year's resolutions. I love it, too. So we'll be back with you next week for 
more stuff conversations. And we'll look forward to hearing your feedback between now and then. Keep the nuance tone.